Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and I'm sorry, guys. I want to apologize at the outset here. I'm sorry for getting this episode out to you guys a day late, but I just got back in town from a quick 4th of July getaway. I know. I know. I can already hear Charlie right now. Yes, I know I gave Charlie a hard time for her summer travel schedule a couple weeks ago for just not being on the show for like a month and a half, and here I am showing up late this week, but hey, at least I still showed up, right? And today on the podcast, we're going to have some fun going down memory lane. If you guys are like me and consume as much college football content as you possibly can, which I think is the case for most of you, then you know that the summer months, at least June and July, they are what I call list season. It's the time of year where the new college football season, it's, it really is. I've been saying this for a couple of weeks. It's just around the corner. I mean, just around the corner, but it's also still not quite here yet. It's close enough for people to start getting excited, like me. I, I, I'm about to lose my mind in anticipation for this upcoming season. So we're all starting to get more and more excited about it. And it's time for conversations around major storylines to really start in earnest. But it's still, like at least in terms of like the national landscape, it's still kind of on the periphery. And most talking heads, most publications, they still aren't quite ready to dive headfirst into games and full previews. That usually happens once media days get here at the end of the month, but that hasn't really happened yet. So what do we get as fans when that's the case? When it's getting closer, the new season's almost here, but it's still not quite here, and most national publications aren't really diving headfirst in, what do we get? We get lists. Tons and tons of lists. Power rankings, toughest schedules, biggest sleepers, biggest games, top transfers, and so on, and so on, and so on. An endless variety of lists. So here on the Glory UGA podcast, we are going to lean full into list season. But of course, with our own Georgia Bulldogs spin. We didn't want to do this all summer long. Like We've been toying around with the idea going back to like May or so. But we decided at the end of the day, we didn't want to do it all summer long. We didn't want to wear you out with like 10 to 15 different lists. That's why we decided at the end of the day to kind of extend our scheme theme series into the month of June. But what we're going to do is we're going to use the month of July here as our own Georgia football list season. So over the next couple of weeks, we are going to have a variety of different lists for you on, I mean, a variety of different things. We're going to have our most wanted prospects list, best road trips for Georgia fans, the 25 best players on the 2021 team. And today we're going to open our list season with a list of the 10 best Georgia games that I have personally attended. And I do want to give credit for this first episode to one of our listeners, Justin Isback. I think I pronounced that right, Justin. If I didn't, just let me know, man. I apologize. But Justin sent in a mailbag question a few weeks ago asking, what are the top three wins and worst three losses for the dogs that you have attended? Simple enough, right? Well, yeah, maybe on the surface, but all of you know that first and foremost, I'm a Georgia guy. I'm a fan, just like all of you guys. 
That's who I am. I am a Georgia guy through and through. So when I read this question, as simple as it may have been, the fan in me got very nostalgic. I love this stuff, guys. You know, this is what I live and breathe. And I've been fortunate enough to go to a lot of Georgia games over the years. I've been very, very fortunate. I have an incredible wife who indulges my fandom and goes to every single road trip with me and never complains. And even if she might not always admit it, she loves it too. Now, certainly some road trips more than others, but I've been very fortunate. Don't have kids, so I don't have, I don't want to say holding me back, but that's not really something I have to worry about. So, I have gone to a lot of Georgia games. I mean, prior to last year, I'd only missed one Georgia game since 2009. I I didn't go, we didn't go to the Little Rock game against Arkansas. We played them in Little Rock in 2014. We didn't go to that one. Uh, I wanted to, but my wife just wouldn't go to that one. And you know what? I wasn't going to put up too much of a fight because, again, she's gone to every single one of these road games with me all across the Southeast, all across the country, really. So I didn't go to that one. But other than that one game in 2014, I mean, I had been to every George game, home, away, doesn't matter, since 2009. COVID, of course, ended all of that last year. I went to a couple of games, was able to make it to the Alabama game, went to the Kentucky game. It was kind of like my birthday getaway, going to Lexington, Kentucky. Hey, what a birthday, right? Actually, Lexington's an underrated town. We're going to talk about that on our road trip list in a couple of weeks. But um, yeah, so I went to as many games as I could last year, but couldn't make it to all of them with COVID and just those related issues. But nonetheless, I've been to a lot of Georgia football games since graduating college. Been very lucky. I've witnessed a lot of thrilling wins. I've witnessed some extremely satisfying blowouts. And of course, like all of you, um, I have also experienced quite a few heartbreaks. Honestly, some of my best and some of my worst memories are at Georgia football games. So when I saw this question, my mind started racing, like immediately started racing. And all of those memories from all those games, good and bad, they all came flooding back. So today, I want to take you on a trip back down my mind's memory lane using Justin's question as a guide. But I want to expand on Justin's question. I tried, I really did, guys. I tried to narrow it down to the top three wins and the three worst losses that I've attended. thought maybe that could be our, our first list episode but man, I just, I couldn't do it, man. I just couldn't do it. I felt like I was leaving too many big wins and too many heartbreaking losses out of it. That's why I couldn't just throw this into one random mailbag episode like maybe we were originally going to do. So I'm going to give you my 10 favorite Georgia football wins that I've attended over the years today. And then next week, I'll do the inverse and I'll go down that deep, dark hole and give you the 10 worst losses that I've attended that are all very much just seared into my psyche for all eternity. And as you will see, all of these games today are from 2004 or later, kind of dating myself here. To be honest with you, I didn't go, I didn't get to go to many Georgia games growing up, to be entirely honest with you. It wasn't that I didn't root for Georgia, of course I did. It was that I had my own football games every Saturday from age six through eighth grade. That's when I grew up in Gwinnett County, played in the GFL, and from age six through eighth grade, my games were on Saturdays. And my dad was also a league official for the GFL, so he was busy all day before and after my games. So going to Georgia games from, again, age six through eighth grade just really wasn't in the cards for me until high school. Uh, and that's when, my, of course, my games moved to Friday. And I also put this out there. There are a lot of games from my childhood that would have made this list if I had been there, but I wasn't there. So if this was like, best games that I've seen, there would have been games like the Hobnail Boot game, the 2002 Auburn game, Michael Johnson, right, in the back of the end zone. Like Those would have made my list if it was games that I had seen, whether it's live or on TV or whatever. But this isn't just a list of my 10 favorite Georgia wins and then next week, worst losses. These have to be games that I have personally attended. All right, just wanna make sure we're clear on that before we start. But let's go ahead and let's get into this. Uh, and we're gonna start at number 10, I'm going to work my way back up the list again of the 10 best Georgia football wins that I have personally attended. You'll probably agree with some of these. I think some of these are going to be obvious, but there's some that are maybe a little bit off the beaten path and maybe not as obvious, a little bit more random that just for me personally were awesome wins. And you might not agree with them, which is cool, but this is my list. And for number 10, the first game on my list 
We're going to go back to 2013. And this is actually one of those games I was just talking about. I think to the average fan, this game probably wouldn't be one that you would think about, right? Over the last 10, 15 or so, however many years, that would be on my list of 10 best games that I've been to when I've been to a lot of games over the past, what, 13, 14 years now. But we're going to start with the 2013 win over Tennessee on Rocky Top in Knoxville, Tennessee. This game's honestly one of those that's kind of been lost to, to history. Most Georgia fans, it's kind of just an obscure game that people don't really even remember all that well. But I remember this game vividly. Uh, it, this was an awesome game. This was a game that we end up winning in overtime, 34-31. So let me kind of lay this out and just kind of remind you again. We're going to take a trip down memory lane. Just kind of remind you about this game and hopefully kind of explain to you. Hopefully you kind of understand a little bit why this game made my top 10 list. So there are others. I had, a, I mean, guys, I had probably had a list of like 20 games and I had to cut them off. So this one actually just barely ended up making the list, but I felt like this one had to sneak in there some way, somehow. So let me set the scene here. Let's go back to 2013, especially the start to the 2013 season. Remember, guys, and I think it was the first four games that year, we had two top 10 wins. We beat South Carolina at home and we beat LSU at home. Those are two top 10 wins. I mean, both are ranked number six when we played them. I think that was in the first four weeks of that season, at the very least the first five weeks of that season. So we were riding high. Like, a lot of us felt we were national title good, and I will stand by that. A healthy 2013 Georgia football team was national title good. Potentially could have been the best offense in Georgia history with Aaron Murray rolling in his final season, Todd Gurley, Keith Marshall, remember Justin Scott Wesley, remember that name? Having a good start of the year, Michael Bennett, Chris Conley. And we might not have been like dominant on defense, but we still had some really good players. Damian Swan, Leonard Floyd, Jordan Jenkins, Ray Drew, Rameek Wilson, Amarlo Herrera. We had some good players on that defense, but offensively, we were just dynamic. We were dynamic in 2013, all right? So let's let's remember that, okay? So coming into this game, we were number six in the country. Now, Tennessee was unranked, but we were number six in the country, and yes, we had screwed up, and we had lost that game to Clemson to open that season in a game that I truly felt that we should have won. We lost that game 38-35. I think we had a chance to win that game, but give Clemson credit, they won that game at home at Death Valley, right? But we had recovered, right? We recovered and got those two top 10 wins against South Carolina and LSU, and we were right there, guys. We were a true contender. So this game against Tennessee threatened to potentially unravel all of that, to completely dismantle any remaining national title hopes we had, okay? With one loss, you could have done it, all right? In the BCS, this was, I think it was the last season of the BCS era, right? You still had a chance with one loss, especially those two top 10 wins over LSU and South Carolina under our belt, right? If you go on, you win the SEC championship, you can still do it. And we had just fallen short the year before in 2012 against Alabama in the SEC title game. We felt we could have won the national title in 2012. And so 2013, with that momentum, I felt like we could still do it. But we had no margin for error, no room for any mistakes. And Tennessee is kind of a trap game setting. They were very good. They were not. But it's on Rocky Top. They hate us. It's a trap game. It's absolutely a trap game coming after, what, three top 10 matchups in the first four to five weeks of the season. And going into that game, I was already a little bit nervous because no Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley was not going to play in that game. He was injured, right? But it's all right. We got Keith Marshall, right? Well, what happens? Keith Marshall gets knocked out in the first quarter of that game. And it's like, oh, okay, so who, who, do, who do we have now? Okay, we have J.J. Green. Okay, Brendan Douglas. Um... Okay, I guess so, but it's cool. We still have Aaron Murray, we still have Justin Scott Wesley, we still have Michael Bennett, but not so fast. Then Justin Scott Wesley goes down. Then Michael Bennett goes down later. We literally have a mash unit on offense, and that offense had been what was kind of carrying us. I don't want to say it was carrying us. Our defense was still good, but our offense was clearly the better unit that, that season. It was. So now again, we got Aaron Murray and then a bunch of, okay, all right, we're going to see what's going to happen. And then Tennessee went on an almost seven-minute drive to score a touchdown and go up 31-24 with under two minutes to play. And I'm freaking out, guys. I'm freaking out. Tennessee fans are talking all sorts of trash. They're convinced they just won the game, took down Georgia, top 10 victory. Oh, yeah, Tennessee's back, right? Butch Jones, brick by brick, that whole thing, whole nine yards, right? 
but not so fast, not so fast, because Aaron freaking Murray put us on his back. You guys know I love Aaron Murray. I I hated it then. I still hate it now when so many people gave him so much crap about not being able to win the big game, all that stuff during large portions of his career. I thought Aaron Murray was fantastic for us. It wasn't his fault that we had some defensive deficiencies, some third and Grantham deficiencies during his time in Athens. He did everything he could. That dude was awesome for us. And in this game, I think he was at his best. This was probably his best performance as a Georgia Bulldog, at least my favorite Aaron Murray performance, because it was him and just some guys, man. That's who it was. He put us on his back. I'll never forget, man. I think it was the, I'm pretty sure it's the last play of the third quarter. He took off on a 57-yard run that set up a score on that final play of the third quarter that gave us the lead at the time early on in the fourth quarter. And I was like, okay, man, a little bit of breathing room, but it didn't last very long. Tennessee was able to come back. And I just told you guys, they went like a, I think it was like a seven-minute drive. I remember being like forever to score a touchdown, go up 31-24, under two minutes to play, but Air Murray would ride again. He wasn't going to let this team lose, at least not that game. He wasn't going to let us lose that game. Yeah, we lost to Vanderbilt a couple weeks later, and that was... That one was brutal, uh, but not this one in Knoxville. Aaron Murray drives us down the field with under two minutes to play. Ultimate two-minute drill. Hits Rantavius Wooten. Remember that name? That's a throwback name, right? Wooten to ball carrier. Uh, Rantavius Wooten hits him with five seconds left, I think from the two-yard line, to send the game to overtime. And then overtime, Tennessee gets the ball to start the to start the overtime period. And it looks like they're about to go in a score. It's a guy named Pig Howard. If you remember that name, Pig Howard is diving, reaching for the end zone. Looks like he's about to score and put the pressure on us. But he fumbles. He l- releases the ball. He fumbles into the end zone as he's reaching to score. Goes out the back of the end zone. It's a touchback. We get the ball. Marshall Morgan kicks the field goal with our next possession. And boom, we win the game 34-31. National title hopes still alive. Obviously, for the time being, we know that did not end up happening. But again, I maintain if that team was healthy and was able to stay healthy, that was a national title caliber team, at least offensively. No, it didn't happen, but still, the thought was there. So at the moment, I'm going like this is personal for me. At the in the moment there in Knoxville, Tennessee, I was on cloud nine, man. Like I was feeling something there. I was all of my feelings there. And there's just something about being in enemy territory. Like you got the teams back. It's it's us against the world. You take the abuse from the opposing fans. And when you win one like that, man, like it is an awesome feeling. Those of you who have gone to row games, kind of been in enemy territory, especially contentious row games like that, you know what I'm talking about, right? And honestly, I know this might sound kind of sacrilegious to a lot of you, but I would much rather win a big Georgia football game on the road than I would at home at Sanford Stadium. Because there's, again, there's just something special about like being on the road, us against the world, that whole mentality. It's awesome. So that comes in number 10 on my list of the best Georgia wins that I have personally seen. So that takes us to number nine. I'm not going to spend too much time on this one because it was not much of a game to talk about, but I had an incredible time this game. So it made my list as well. This is another one that might be one of the more obscure games on my list, but the 2017 Florida game. Now there's a couple of games from 2017, as you might imagine, since that was the season that we made a run to the national championship game. And of course, uh, came all so close to winning, but did not end up doing that. But in 2017, we're playing the Florida Gators. And my God, we put a beat down on the Florida Gators. 42 to 7. We were scoring at will. If if Kirby Smart wanted it to, like we could have scored 70 in that game. That game could have been 70 to 7 if we had really wanted it to be. I mean, we just jumped out on them like from the very get-go. It was 21-0 at the end of the first quarter. And then what does Kirby Smart do? He does what Kirby Smart was was apt to do, especially then. Maybe not as much now, still, but I think he's still very apt to do it. Get a big lead and then just choke the life out of the team and kind of just get out of there with a win. So I think we go into the fourth quarter. We were up 35-0. Then shortly after the start of the fourth quarter, we're up 42-0. So I think if we'd really wanted to, we could have put up a very odd number. I mean, it was already odd, 42-0, but like, 60, 70 points. We could have if we really, really, really wanted to in that game. But of course, Kirby Smart is not going to do that. But man, for me, this made my list because it was just cathartic. I've been to a, a, a man a lot of Georgia-Florida games now over the years. And I've seen Georgia wins. I've seen Georgia losses, right? But I've never seen us dominate Florida like that, all right? So it was just cathartic, especially growing up during the time period where I did grow up during the Steve Spurrier era and then the Urban Meyer era. 
where, I mean, they went on their run against us, right? They they had their streak, whatever. Obviously, we've certainly put an end to that now. It's a, it's an afterthought at this point. But growing up, that's what I remember. And again, I've mentioned this before. The Florida game is always my birthday weekend. So it always kind of ruined my birthday growing up. It kind of sucked. So to be able to just dominate Florida like that on top of what had already been going on that season for that football team, it was just cathartic, man. It was just a party in the stands. The Florida fans, I remember vividly, I think I still have pictures on my phone of the Florida side of that stadium where they were just, they left. Like halftime, like it was there, it was maybe like 15% of the Florida fans still there, maybe. And then like on the walk back to the hotel, after the game, you have to walk by all the basically the tailgate section. The Florida fans, not all of them, but a lot of them are always chirping, going crazy, as you might imagine, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. A lot of people that have done their fair share of imbibing. And um, there are things that are said. But on that trip, at least that one trip, not a word. Because what could be said? They were just beaten. They were just, they were dejected. And it was incredible. Going back to the bars or restaurants, hotel after the game. They, they just they couldn't even like look you in the eye. So that game, that weekend, that experience was awesome. So that made my list coming to number nine. And we're going to go to number eight now. Here's another one that might be a little obscure for most of you. We'll obviously get some of the big ones here later on. But for me, this is another one that was an awesome, awesome experience to be at. And that was the 2015 South Carolina game at home in Sanford Stadium. Now, you might be thinking, wait a minute. There's a game from 2015 on your list. What are you talking about? Isn't that the year Mark Rick got fired? Yeah, things went off the rails. Mark Rick did eventually lose his job at the end of that season. It was a terrible year. It sucked, right? Yes, Grace Lambert was our quarterback. But let's not forget, early in this season, I think it was week two, right? No, I take it back. 2015, it was week three. I'm pretty sure we played Vanderbilt week two that year. I'm pretty sure we played them in Nashville week two, right? So regardless, early the season, week two, week three, I think it was week three, we've got South Carolina coming to town, right? And let's kind of also put this in context here. Through the early part of the 2010s, Steve Spurrier had taken over South Carolina and he led them to some heights that they had never experienced as a program. And they had been a thorn in our side. They had beaten us a couple of times, beaten us badly in 2012, which was a game I'll never forget. That's almost certainly going to make my list of worst games I've ever attended. What was it, 30-0? Just terrible. Just flat-out terrible. So they had had some success against us in the early part of the 2010s, but not on that night in 2015. Grayson Lambert, far from a great quarterback. We know that. Was a, a big part of why Mark, I shouldn't put it on him, but the fact that we didn't have a good enough quarterback was a big reason why Mark Rick end up losing his job at the end of that season. We all know Bryce Ramsey didn't work out. Grayson Lambert comes in from, from Virginia, did his best, and was fine in times at times, but was also just not, at the end of the day, good enough. But that night against South Carolina, Grayson Lambert was the best quarterback I've ever seen in my life. For one night, for one night, right? What'd he go? 24-25, set an NCAA completion percentage single game record, threw for 330 yards, 13.2 yards per attempt, three touchdowns, was about as flawless as a quarterback can be in that one game. Now, it didn't last. Like, that was like this one moment of, of lucid performance from Grayson Lambert, but he was spectacular in that game. Unbelievable. And at that time, like, we didn't know what was going to come. As a fan, you kind of get caught in the moment sometimes against better judgment. You try not to. You try to be as objective as you can. But when you beat an old rival like Steve Spurrier, I'm not really going to call South Carolina a rival yet. I don't want to give them the honor of being designated one of our rivals. But when you beat Steve Spurrier like that, a guy who has been a thorn in the side of the University of Georgia football program during really most of his career, when you beat him like that, in a, in a night game in Sanford Stadium and your quarterback who you hadn't really seen much of yet, you're still kind of not, con you weren't necessarily convinced about him coming in the game, but then after that, like, how can you not be convinced, right? Like, oh my God, like, maybe he's really, really good. And then you think maybe this could be a year we can we can actually do something. Maybe, just maybe. I don't know, maybe. Now, of course, we played Bama two weeks later at home and we get pounded 38-10 in the pouring rain. So we were very quickly disabused of any thoughts of possibly being able to contend for anything worthwhile that season. But in that moment, that was an awesome game. And what made it even sweeter is that I am personally convinced that is the game that retired Steve Spurrier, right? Again, Steve Spurrier, been a headache for us, right, for a long time. But that is the game I think 
broke his back. The straw that broke the camel's back. I think he was done. I know he didn't retire immediately following that game. Honestly, I think he waited a couple weeks because he did not want to give us the satisfaction of being able to say that, hey, we officially, officially retired this man. So I think it was like two or three weeks later, he actually officially retired. But come on, that was the game that did it, right? That was the game where Steve Spurrier was like, all right, I ain't got any more, man. I can't take much more of this. And he was done. He was done. So for those reasons, I'm putting the South Carolina game in 2015 as number eight on my list of best games I've attended. All right, moving on here, we're going to number seven. And again, I guess for some of you, this might be considered an obscure game. I don't think this was an obscure game. There's a lot of lead up, a lot of hype leading up to this game. I guess I just don't know how many people actually remember it. But I'm going back to 2012. And this was our game, our first meeting against the Missouri Tigers once they entered the SEC. So remember, this is Missouri's very first SEC game. They gave them Georgia. They gave them Georgia to open their new affiliation with the SEC at home in Columbia, Missouri at night. It was already going to be a hyped up game, right? They were very excited about being the SEC. The SEC trying to promote these two new, two new programs coming into the league. I think A&M had played Florida either earlier that day or the week before. So they were giving these two new teams, they were giving them some very, very high profile SEC teams to play. All right. So we've got Missouri on the road, 2012 at night. And this is, remember this guys, this is the old man football game. Defensive tackle from Missouri, Sheldon Richardson, when he was being interviewed about the game, he basically said, I forget exactly what he said, but we play old man football in, in the SEC. And that's what Georgia does. So that's not, but Missouri, you know, they're new age, they're high flying, they're, they're going to beat us. No problem, right? Well, we kind of took that to heart. And so our, not only the fans, but our players took this to heart. I remember all game, especially towards the end of the game, we were clearly blowing them out. We ended up winning the game 41-20. Our players had written on, they weren't signs, I guess they'd written on the dry erase board, like old man football, we're holding it up to the, to the Georgia section of the crowd and going crazy, man. It was awesome, dude. It was so much fun to be at that game. So Missouri's making their SEC debut. is a very hyped up game. I had never been to Columbia, Missouri. Never really been to the Midwest. I guess I would call Missouri the Midwest, maybe, possibly. Never been anywhere near that. So that was a lot of fun. And Columbia, Missouri is just an awesome college town. It's one of my favorite college towns that I've had a chance to go to. So it was really cool to experience something new. Their fans were out and about. They were really hyped up. It wasn't just the game, but just the, the town itself the entire weekend. There was a buzz around town. Got to try new restaurants, new bars, see new places. You guys know I like to run, so I have to run around their campus and see something totally new, and that's the kind of stuff that I love. So all of that put into one, the fact that we not only did we win that game with a lot of national lives in the game, but we blew them out. Jarvis Jones went insane in that game. That one's pretty high on my list. Now, I know it's not top five, but it's certainly clearly inside the top 10 for me. So it's a 2012 game in Columbia, Missouri against the Missouri Tigers. That game was a lot of fun to be at. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. And then that brings us to number six on my list of the best Georgia games that I have attended. It just barely missed out on cracking the top five. This is another game against the Florida Gators, but we're going to go back to 2012 this time. So the 2012 Florida game. Now, we did not blow Florida out like we did in 2017. This was a much closer game. In fact, too close for comfort. We ended up winning this game 17-9, if you guys remember that. The reason this game is so high on my list, it really is kind of the stakes of this game. There's a couple reasons. Number one, 
This was for the SEC East. It was number two, Florida versus number 10, Georgia. We both came in this game, I think, with one SEC loss. We had lost to South Carolina earlier in the year in uh, Columbia, South Carolina. I mean, that was that, as I mentioned earlier, that terrible, I think, 30 nothing blowout game. That's why we were only number 10 and Florida was number two. So this was for the SEC East for all practical purposes. Whoever won this game was going to win the East. You know, the SEC East often comes down to Georgia, Florida, right? And on top of that, this is the game where safety Sean Williams forever endeared himself to me. This is the game where he challenged the team. Remember, he called the defense soft. He called the team soft. And you didn't know how the team's going to respond to that. Is there discord within the locker room? Is this a guy that's just a leader who's really trying to get his team motivated? You don't know. But our guys came out and they responded. And it was a tight game. It was really an ugly game, a very defensive game. Obviously, the score being 17-9. But it was Malcolm Mitchell. One, I think one of the more underrated plays in Georgia, I would say the last 10 to 15 years in, of Georgia football, was Malcolm Mitchell catching what was real. If I remember correctly, I think it was just a, a little quick curl route, catch the ball, breaks away from the defender, and darts 45 yards to a touchdown with a little bit more than seven minutes left for the go-ahead score. But the game wasn't done yet, all right? Jarvis Jones, I mean, he just destroyed Florida's entire career here in Athens, but he was a one-man wrecking machine in this game. 13 tackles, three sacks, two forced fumbles, and maybe the, the second biggest play of the game, maybe after Malcolm's touchdown catch, he forced a Jordan Reed fumble on the five-yard line with a little over two minutes left. Florida's about to go in there with a chance to tie the score and potentially send the game into overtime with a two-point conversion, but Jarvis catches him, makes him fumble on the five-yard line. We recover. Game over. We are going to the SEC Championship game with a chance, potentially, to put ourselves in the BCS national title game. So just the stakes involved, the way it came down to the wire like that, the the festive atmosphere after the game, and the fact that it was a win of such magnitude over your biggest rival. That was an incredible, incredible game to be at and an awesome win to experience. But all right, that moves us into the top five and coming in at number five, is a game that I hold very near and dear to my heart, even to this day, not just because it won, but just because it was, uh, I think actually it was my second Georgia football game ever. I was a senior in high school. My girlfriend at the time, now wife, same person, she uh, was awesome and uh, bought me 50-yard line tickets to this game. It was a 2004 LSU game at home in Sanford Stadium. My wife totally tricked me on this, man. She messed with me on this one, but it was awesome. She uh, told me when she got me tickets, like, oh, they're not the best seats. And I was like, it doesn't matter. I mean, we're going to not only like my second Georgia game ever, but it's a home game against the defending national champions. We all knew in 2004 that we had a, a championship caliber team ourselves. So obviously there was a massive amount of hype around this game. And then once we get into the game, she didn't show me the tickets ahead of time. She just told me we were going to the game. And she took me to where she where I thought our tickets were going to be. And then she kept walking down and down and further and further down. And before you know, we're like sitting there smack dab in the middle of the stadium at the 50-yard line on the south side, so shady side of the field. And then we proceed to watch David Green just drop bombs on Nick Saban's LSU defense to the tune of a 45-16 to trouncing of the defending national champs in that game. It was an incredible game to be at. I'm sure a lot of you guys there, I know it was a long time ago. I was like, God, it's hard to believe 17 or so years ago now. But David Green drops five touchdown passes in that game. We jumped all over LSU from the get-go. I mean, it was a game where the outcome was never in doubt. Basically, almost like from kickoff, the outcome was never in doubt. Jamarcus Russell was actually the quarterback for LSU that day. But David Green was clearly the superior quarterback that day at Sanford Stadium, and uh, that was just, for a young kid, man, that was an incredible experience to be at, and that's definitely still up there among my top Georgia football game memories, for sure. Okay, coming in at number four. Now, this is a game, if it was not for our run during the 2017 season, our run to the SEC title, Rose Bowl victory, shot the national championship against Alabama, we all know how that season went. If it wasn't for the 2017 season, this would be number one on my list. This was maybe the craziest atmosphere that I've been at in Sanford Stadium to date. At the very least, it's up there. It's way, way up there. And maybe that perception of how raucous that environment was was skewed by the fact that I was still a student, so I was sitting in the student section, which is obviously the rowdiest part of the stadium, generally speaking, when the students are actually there and engaged in what's going on. 
But we were there, and we were engaged that night. I mean, I was I got to all the games about two hours before. Actually, as soon as they opened up the gate for students to get in there, I was usually one of the first ones in there because I was saving seats for a group of people, and so I was, and I didn't mind being there watching warm ups, whole nine yards. Yes, I would sweat my tail off often, but it was worth it. No big deal. But the game I'm talking about here is the 2007 original blackout game at home at night against the Auburn Tigers. If you guys were watching Georgia football back then, which I think most of you were, you remember the hype leading up to that game, right? Do you remember the week or so leading up to that game where the team never said, hey, we're wearing black jerseys, right? It was never said out loud, but there is a massive push for it among the fan base and the students in particular. And we were ready for it. The entire stadium was blacked out. We had heard rumors that, yes, the black jerseys are there. There's pictures somewhere. Somebody's seen the black jerseys. They're here. They're in the equipment room. They're wearing black. And so we all dress in black. We get there early. Places, I mean, even beyond the student section, like that stadium was filled earlier than it normally is for a night game. And me as a student, I was there when the players first took the field for warm-ups, like the very, very earliest warm-ups. And what did they come out in? Well, they came out in red jerseys. So I'm thinking like, oh man, this sucks. And then the rest of the team comes out and they're all wearing red. They got full pads on. And I'm like, oh man, what a letdown. Like this would have been awesome, right? It's awesome for anyone. But like when you're a student, that kind of thing, like you really get into that kind of thing. So I'm not going to lie. It was a major disappointment there during warm-ups. Like, God, man, like we really thought this was going to happen. Like, and we're all complaining, like, why not? What's the harm wearing black jerseys? And people are just guessing, oh, maybe they couldn't get a maid in time. Like, well, that's not what I heard. I heard that we already had a maid. And like, we're all just disappointed, right? Well, the team goes in after warm-ups. And you guys know the story. When they come out of the tunnel to run through the banner to start the game, essentially, the red jerseys are gone. They got the black jerseys on. And it was just an, like, it was perfect execution of the blackout, right? We haven't really executed it well since then. Obviously, the next time we wore them was in 2008 against Alabama. We got murdered, and we all know we basically didn't wear them for like a decade almost after that. But that is how you do a blackout. That's how you execute an alternate uniform reveal. That is how you do it. You build the hype all week long. You keep people guessing. You don't release the information for sure. Somewhere, somebody released some sort of of, of rumors. They, they leaked that just to kind of build the hype. I'm convinced of that. And then you, you build it even more the day of the game by seeing your entire team out there in red uniforms. Don't even tell the players that you're wearing black because you've got to try to keep that hush-hush. can't tell the players. You can't trust them not tell somebody. Of course you're going to tell somebody. And the players come in. They come back in the locker room. They see the black jerseys there when they come back in from warm-ups. They go crazy. They get pumped up. They're fired up. They come out. They take it to Auburn. The crowd goes insane because what happens, you guys that were there, and if you weren't there, I mean, you probably know the story. Not only they come out in black jerseys, but as soon as they start ringing the tunnel, what song hits? ACDC, Back in Black. I'm not a massive ACDC fan. I'm not really an ACDC fan at all. But that's literally the perfect song to play in that moment. And the crowd went absolutely bananas. And then we just jumped on Auburn from the get-go, and the crowd just took it from there. We never really let up. I'm not saying that it was the... The greatest environment ever in Sanford State. There were others that were pretty close. The 2019 Notre Dame game was was really close, but especially like for a moment, like when the crowd, when the team ran out and Back in Black hit, and they were in those black jerseys. That moment was the loudest moment I've ever heard inside Sanford Stadium, and I've been inside Sanford Stadium at this point a lot of times. And that was as loud as I have ever heard it. I lost my mind. I still, I have chills right now just thinking about it. Really, we're talking about all these games. I get chills. But right now, just thinking about that moment and how incredible that was. And there with all my friends, uh, my girlfriend, now wife, we're all there. And we all lose our minds together. It was, it's just really hard to beat that moment. And again, this would be number one for me if it wasn't for what happened in 2017. But 2017 happened. And that is going to lead us into our top three. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.
You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. And coming in at number three is the 2017 SEC title game against Auburn. Obviously, we end up beating the Tigers to the tune of 28-7, to and there's a lot of reasons why this one is inside the top three for me. Number one, just the revenge factor. The revenge for that 40-17 to embarrassment, that horrific showing on the plains a couple weeks earlier that really damaged our title hopes. Like We obviously had to win this game. We had to win this game, not only to win the SEC, but to keep any sort of national title hopes alive and to just redeem ourselves. Redemption on the national scale in the eyes of the average fan across the country and redemption against one of our rivals. Right? Obviously, they let us have it and deservedly so after they beat us in that game. There's a lot, of, a lot of trash talk leading up to the SEC title game as there probably should have been, I guess, if you're in that kind of thing. I guess they earned that. So just to get that revenge and that redemption against one of our top rivals in a game of this magnitude, it was awesome. And then the, the swift run to put away, there's some iconic moments in that game. The swift run to put it away, and not only swift, but Kirby Smart literally running after him, chasing him down the sideline. I will never forget that moment. As long as Kirby's our coach, and, and even after he's our coach, they're going to continue to show that clip of Kirby just kind of losing his mind and just not knowing. Like he just got caught up in the moment, like us. Like Kirby was almost like a fan. He's a Georgia guy too, as much as much or more than any of us. And he just got excited, just took off, man. He just took off chasing DeAndre, and that was just an incredible moment. And then on top of that, the knowledge that oh my God, we're winning this game, and like really about midway through the third quarter, you kind of hit you like we're, we're going to win this game. We're going to win this game, and we're going to the Cogswell playoff. We are going to be one of four teams with a shot at a national championship. And guys, I know we've been close a couple times, 2012, 2007, we would have won it if there was a playoff, in my opinion. Same thing, you say the same thing in 2002, potentially. We've been close at times, but to be one of four in a playoff, to get a shot at the national title, like that knowledge, it, it I, I didn't even know what to do with it. Like just sitting there, letting that sink in, like it was just a euphoric moment. And then also on top of all that, winning our first SEC title since 2005. It was the first SEC title that I had seen us win in person. I had witnessed losses in 2011 and 2012. I did not get to go in 2005. I was a student and didn't get tickets to that game as an early student at UGA. So this is the first one I actually got to see us win. And after a couple, especially the 2012, just absolutely heartbreaking, brutal loss to Alabama there at the very end, to see it happen in person. This is actually the first game I got to see at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So all of that for me combines to put this inside the top three. I think a win of that magnitude has to be inside your top three for sure. All right. So that brings us to number two. We've got two left here, guys. So I think you can probably guess what my top two are going to be. We'll see in what order. Uh, But coming in at number two is the 2017 trip to South Bend, Indiana. For me, a once in a lifetime trip. I had looked forward to this game so much since the day was announced. And it's one of these things, like I hate how long it takes to get these non-conference games played. I truly hate hate it. I wish we could announce it one year and the next year you're playing. It's kind of like college basketball where they put their schedules together. They put their entire schedule together the offseason before the season starts. Like they're putting together the final, the I guess the final touches on our 2021-22 Georgia basketball schedule right now. We'll find that here probably in a couple of weeks. I wish we did that for college football. I hate having these massive non-conference game scheduled and then saying, oh yeah, by the way, wait 10 to 12 years before you can actually play it. And that's kind of what happened here with Notre Dame. So it was a long wait, but my God, it was worth it, man. I mean, absolutely incredible. We know how it ended up 20 to 19 nail-biting victory over Notre Dame, a win that we had to have to end up 
ultimately in the college football playoff. We didn't know, like we won this game, we didn't know that we were gonna be in the college football playoff. We didn't know how big that game was gonna be, but we knew it was something massive. We knew it was it, it was going to be something. Even if even if we didn't have the college football playoff, like that game itself, that win was just massive for our program. And I had never experienced an environment like that. To this day, I have never experienced an environment quite like that. I'm not saying it was the loudest environment. I'm not saying that, but I've never experienced an environment exactly like that. It was just unique. Obviously, I'm referring to the, the to the Georgia takeover. And when you hear takeover, like it was the Georgia takeover of Notre Dame Stadium, just saying that doesn't even really do it justice. Like if you weren't there, what you saw on TV, I, mean, I think you kind of get it, but it doesn't fully explain what it was like to be in that stadium that night in South Bend, Indiana. And it wasn't just the stadium. The entire town all weekend was red and black. I know a lot of people went to Chicago and then drove up the day of the game. I didn't do that. I love going to these college towns. I love Chicago. Chicago is one of my favorite towns in the United States of America. I mean, if I didn't love Athens the way I love Athens and it wasn't for the University of Georgia, I would probably live in Chicago if I could afford to live there. But I like to stay inside the actual college towns. That's what's cool and unique to me. Even if the town itself isn't like in an isolated sense all that great, a lot of these little college towns they just come to life uh, on a football Saturday. They really do in that entire weekend. So I stayed inside South Bend, and the entire town all weekend was was red and black. The entire town, the entire campus, every restaurant, every bar everything was red and black. I mean, there were dots of green and gold here and there, but we're talking about inside the city of South Bend, Indiana. There were dots of green and gold, a little bit of navy here and there too. It was a red and black city all weekend long. Now, South Bend itself as an isolated entity is not much of a city. I would not want to live in South Bend, Indiana. I'm not a Notre Dame guy. If I was a Notre Dame guy, maybe I would change my tune. But South Bend wasn't that great. Didn't have a ton of restaurants, ton of bars. There were there was enough for me to have a, a really nice dinner, go to some bars, and have a good time. But it wasn't a great city in and of itself. But the campus was incredible, and I've never been a Notre Dame fan. Like I've, I used to love Rudy growing up, but I was never a Notre Dame guy ever. I never really bought into Notre Dame. In fact, I was like a lot of you before this game. I didn't like Notre Dame. I actually hated Notre Dame because I felt they got shown favoritism when it comes to the rankings and the fact they don't play in the conference and people just talk about them nonstop and they haven't really done anything in a long time. All of that, I didn't like them, but it changed when I went there. I don't like Notre Dame, but I have a lot more respect for Notre Dame now before I went. Um, the people were incredible to us. I, I will give them credit. The, the Notre Dame fan base was just absolutely incredible. I've never come across a fan base that treated us with that much respect, kindness, and we're just generally speaking so welcoming. I think there was one car that drew that drove by me that weekend was, I guess it was some frat boys, Notre Dame, and they shouted some obscenities at us, but that was it. And like usually it's like left and right, you get those kind of things, especially as much red and black as I'm wearing head to toe. Um, you got to rep the G. And that, that was it. And there's, again, like it was just an incredible experience all the way around. Uh, the tradition, the mystique of Notre Dame, like touchdown Jesus, all of that, it is all very, very real. I, I didn't buy it before I went there, but I buy it now. It's all a very, very real thing. And then the game, the game. Oh my God, the game. So it's one thing to be around town and know all these Georgia fans are in town, but you're wondering how many people actually have tickets for the game? Because maybe there's a whole thing with guys selling fake tickets or whatever that went down, and you know how many people are actually going to be getting into that game. But the game, when we walk in there and you look around, and I, I mean, I don't know, I, I, my rough guesstimate is like 75, 80% Georgia all around the stadium. There was no Georgia section. The entire stadium was the Georgia section. Truly what you saw was Notre Dame was the visiting team inside their own stadium. The only other game you ever really see that, there's two games where you see that happen on the regular basis with Georgia, Vanderbilt and Georgia Tech. We are always the home team, no matter where we're playing, Vanderbilt or Georgia Tech, whether it's in Atlanta or in Athens, we're the home team against Tech. Whether it's in Nashville or in Athens, we're the home team against Vanderbilt every single time you play them. That's just the way it is. You're used to that. But when you play a big time opponent that actually cares about football, that actually has some sort of tradition, that actually isn't a joke. Well, you don't see that. You just don't see that. I mean, you don't even see like 30%, let alone 50, let alone like 75 to 80%. A team with the tradition of Notre Dame, it was incredible. And then we win the game. We win the game. And it was such an incredible game too. I like kind of sloppy at times, but very closely hard fought game. 
And then we didn't know at the time, but of course we kickstart our run of the national title game there. Uh, you got the Terry Godwin iconic catch. You got Rodrigo Blankenship knocking the field goal down, earning a scholarship there in the locker room. The team jumping in the stands after the game. I just, I can't really do it justice trying to explain exactly what that entire trip was like and what that game was like, that night was like inside Notre Dame Stadium. I still have every single picture I took on my phone from that game. I still have the tickets. I mean, I, I mean, I have all my tickets, but just, man, what an what a game, what an experience, what an environment, truly. I know it's hard to imagine this about a place like South Bend, Indiana, but for me, a once-in-a-lifetime experience because we are never going to play in South Bend, Indiana again. I don't see it happening. I guess you can never say never. I think it's highly unlikely that we'll play there at least anytime soon, probably not again in my lifetime. So I think it was like a once-in-a-lifetime thing, and I'm just so glad that I was able to make that trip. I was very fortunate to be able to make that trip it was awesome. It was awesome. That's number two. And then number one, yeah, you probably guessed it, right? Number one, the best game that I have ever attended, the best Georgia football game I have ever attended was, of course, the 2018. Yes, it was the 2017 season, but it was the 2018 Rose Bowl game in Pasadena, California. I don't need to tell you how the game went. You guys all know how the game went. 54-48 overtime victory in the semifinals of college football playoff against Baker Mayfield and his merry band of Oklahoma Sooners. Very high highs, very low lows, back and forth, all game long. And for the first half, it was mostly a bunch of lows, right? We had a few high points here and there, but we were in our butt kick for most of the first half. Baker Mayfield was doing his like little airplane celebration on the sideline, on the field. They're all cutting up. If you just look at the Oklahoma sideline in that game, they're over there cutting up, having a good time. They're talking trash. They're convinced the game is over. At Georgia, with their old man football, they can't come back on us, not with our high-powered offense. But we know how that story ended. Now, I am convinced. No one can convince me otherwise. I had multiple heart attacks in that game. I am 1,000% convinced of that fact. Multiple heart attacks in that game. Like my, my heart might or might not have stopped at a couple of different points in that game. But by the end of that game, I literally cartwheeled myself out of that stadium. And there is video evidence. Of that. I think my wife tweeted this out a couple of weeks ago. I think, I don't know what she was doing. She was just trying to put me on blast and tweet that out randomly. I might or might not have retweeted that. It's out there somewhere. Um, they weren't great cartwheels. Uh, pants were probably a little too tight. But I literally cartwheeled, cartwheeled myself out of that stadium that night because I, I I just didn't know what else to do. Like I was, I was just like not in control of my bodily functions, man. I was just like losing it. I, I, I don't know what was going on. I just, I was just beyond ecstatic. Now, the trip outside of that game, as I've said before in the show, wasn't all that spectacular. LA does absolutely nothing for me. That town ain't for me. Uh, the game day leading up to the game in Pasadena was, eh? I mean, there's just nothing in Pasadena. Sure, there's like the, the, the Rose Parade, whatever. But like you have to take the train from LA to get there. The stadium is an absolute dump. There's really no—I mean, I guess you can tailgate, but that's nah. It's not, tailgate outside the stadium is that's that's just that doesn't really do much for me. It was hot out there, but once you're in there and you get in the game and the game kicks off, it was a magical, an absolutely magical four hours. And I don't even use the word magical. Like, where does that word even come from? But like, it's the only word I can come up with to really describe like what that game was like the way the game played out and of course the stakes involved in that game put this firmly at number one for me I mean you guys know how it played out but just kind of recap it real quick here we're down 31-14 with six seconds to go in the first half where they inexplicably go for a squib kick there Tay Crowder in one of the most underrated plays in Georgia history. Everyone talks about Rodrigo nailing the field goal, which obviously is huge, 55-yard field goal. But Tay Crowder having the presence of mind to jump on that ball right there to give Rodrigo the chance to kick that field goal right before halftime, that was a massive play. Literally one of the most underrated plays in Georgia football history. Like No one talks about that play, but that play by Tay Crowder was unbelievable. And then you've got Rodrigo, of course, nailing the field goal right before the half, the 55-yard to put us down 31-17, which I know it's only three points closer, but like psychologically being going into the half down two touchdowns as opposed to three scores, 17 points, that's huge against a team of Oklahoma's caliber. And then when we come out of the second half on fire, we get a stop to open the second half. We uh, outscore them 28-14 in that half. And then of course, the game goes into overtime. 
And then Sony with the clinching touchdown, and he ran. I was in that end zone. That's where my seats were. He ran right at me in that end zone. And I'm just screaming, Sony, Sony, Sony. I must have said Sony 27 times. And I, I, again, I lost my mind, guys. I momentarily lost my mind. I just screamed the man's name over and over again, hugging random people. I was almost body surfing in the crowd there. It was insane. Once I got my feet on the ground, I just like started, I basically walked out of the concourse and just started cartwheeling. Just literally cartwheeled myself right on out of there. Lost my mind. Lost my mind. And then I raced back to LAX to take the red eye back home that night to get to work the very next day. So it was a whirlwind weekend for me. But oh my God, what an incredible experience. Again, Pastina, nothing. LA, nothing for me. But that game in that setting, it's tradition. And the way it played out, the stakes involved, giving us a shot putting us in the national championship game right now that's the best georgia game i've ever been to all right or at least my favorite georgia game to this point i am very hopeful that something will surpass that oh i don't know maybe this year that'd be awesome but as of right now the 2018 rose bowl victory over oklahoma that put us in the national championship game even though we didn't win that national title game I might talk about that game a little bit more next week on the worst games I've ever attended list, but the stakes involved there, the way that game played out, not only was it a close game, but the massive comeback there, the iconic moments, the big time plays, the Kirby Smart boom mf -er coming off the sideline, just unbelievable, just unbelievable. And then I spent the entire train ride back to LA to get on an Uber to go to LAX. I spent the entire, actually, the, I guess the train ride and the Uber ride trying to get to the airport, spent that trying to hunt down tickets to the national title game, uh, which I fortunately was able to, to track down. Um, not cheap, but was able to track them down. But uh, man, that was, um, what a game. What a game, what an experience. And hopefully we have something, again, surpass that as early as this year. That'd be awesome. But all right, guys, those are my top 10 Georgia football games that I have personally attended. There is a couple honorable mentions I could throw out here. I have a, again, I have a list of about 20 or so games here, but I'll throw out just a couple honorable mentions real quick. The 2014 Missouri game is an honorable mention here. That would probably come in at number 11 for me. And the 2019 Notre Dame game at home would probably come in number 12 for me. The 2014 Missouri game, it's another one of those obscure games. You're probably like, huh, what? why would that, like, what? Yeah, we won that game 30 to nothing. But the reason that game was, was such a cool game. Was, remember, that was a game where Nick Chubb had to make his first start for Todd Gurley. We had heard, I was literally driving, my wife was driving to Missouri on Thursday night. We were So we drove half, what we do when we go to Missouri, we drive, well, we're going to fly from now on, but we used to drive. So we would drive to Metropolis, Illinois, which is a little bit more than halfway. I don't know it's a random city, but there's a little Harris Casino there in Metropolis, Illinois. It's a nothing city. Literally all there is there is a Harris Casino, and it's just a quick, cheap place to stay. It's a little bit more than halfway to Columbia. And uh, so we were driving there that night, and I get a text from a buddy, and he says, Dude, did you see the Todd Gurley stuff? Something like that. And I'm like, what? What? Wait, no, what, what are you talking about? I'm starting to freak out. Like, wait, Todd Gurley stuff? And it's like, yeah, it looks like he's not going to be eligible to play. I'm like, what? And so I start, you know, trying to contact anyone, everyone I know, looking up every site, message board, whatever I can find. And then we, the news officially hits that, yeah, Todd Gurley is suspended. And we're like, oh my God. And we, exactly, we don't know exactly how long it was going to be. All we knew is it wasn't playing that game. And it's like, Jesus Christ, what just, what just happened? What just happened? And it's like, all right, all right. And so I'm, I'm convinced when I, you know, I live and die this stuff like a lot of you guys. And so I'm convinced that we just we just lost this game. No tie early. We're, we're out. We're done. We're done. We can't win this game. No, Missouri's, Missouri's pretty, Missouri actually ended up going to the SEC championship game that season. That's one that they won in 2013, 2014. So they were good. And so I'm convinced, man, that we got no shot. We got no shot. And we still had a shot. To, I think we still had a shot to win the SEC East uh, at that point, if I remember correctly. So I'm just convinced the whole entire season's over. It's done, right? No way we're going to win this game without Todd. I, I was just down, man. And then Nick Chubb goes out there and runs for about a buck 50 in that game. Had a couple of catches as well. And just had a big game, man. And we're like, Todd who? Right? No, not really. Todd Gurley was incredible. But Nick Chubb's like, oh my God, Nick's the next bet. He's the next guy. He's the next dude. He went on the rest of the season to have um, a great second half uh, of that season and really kind of set up what we thought was going to be a great 2015 season. It was. It started out as a great 2015 season, but obviously that got cut a little short. 
But just going from like the depths of despair, thinking we had no shot to win that game without Todd Gurley, and thinking that our season was over, and then being lifted back up so dramatically by the emergence of Nick Chubb and being there in that moment at that game and thinking we still had a shot now potentially to win the East, that was an awesome game. Yeah, it was a blowout. I mean, it wasn't a great game to watch, but it was so much fun to be at that game. And uh, again, I love Columbia, Missouri. It was a great place to go. So that was a big one for me. And then, yeah, the 2019 Notre Dame game a couple years ago, that was a really fun one, obviously, with the hype leading up to that game. One of the biggest games, if not the biggest game in Sanford Stadium history. You have the the lights, the LED lights that were unveiled for the first time as a night game, primetime, CBS, kicked Alabama and LSU off primetime. So that, that was a lot of fun as well. So those probably be my two honorable mentions. But all right, guys, that does it for me today here on the Glory UGA podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed this. I had a ton of fun kind of reliving some of those awesome moments of in those games that I have had the, the great fortune to be able to attend. Next week, we'll do the inverse. I'm not going to be as excited about that one where I got to talk about the 10 worst games I've attended because there's been a bunch of them. There's a bunch of them. Like, it's so much fun traveling to road games, especially when you win. It's almost like a relief when you win because when you lose, it sucks. It sucks when you lose some of these road games. So I have plenty of stories of those shared. Also, some, some losses at home to share and maybe some neutral side games as well. So, we'll do that exercise next week. But thanks for listening, guys. Had a great time doing this. We'll have a bunch of lists for you the rest of the month. We'll have the one next week. Then we'll have a top 10 most wanted list in terms of the 2022 recruiting class. We're going to do one on the best road trips for Georgia football fans. And we're also going to do actually a couple episodes, be a little bit of a series from this series on the top 25 players on this year's Georgia football team. So a lot of good stuff coming up for you guys over the next couple of weeks. And then once we get to the month of August, guys, we are hitting the ground running with team stuff every single episode, whether it's covering fall camp, whether it's doing over, under, win total type stuff, making predictions, doing like bowl predictions, all the things that we do leading up to this season. We'll have all that for you guys in the month of August. And of course, we're still continuing our Scouting the Enemy series throughout the rest of this month and August as well. I'll have the South Carolina Gamecocks for you guys next week. So a ton of great stuff, guys. So make sure to be checking all that stuff out. But have a great weekend. I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.